All right. Thank you so much for joining us for another Look Again podcast. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, man. Thank you all for uh, making the time to tune in to us, and uh, thank you to our two special guests. I'm doing great, Andy. Thank you for asking, and thank you all for listening. So we do have two wonderful guests here. Um, we have uh, James Gimian and Barry Boyce. Both of them are near and dear friends of ours, amazing gentlemen who part of the Mindful Magazine. Mentors as well. More than friends, I would say, but family members. We love them very, very much. We're very excited they're on the call today to share some of their stories about not only their lives, but what they do in the mindfulness community and just in general, really, just to talk and hang out. And um, yeah, thank you guys very much for uh, taking the time to come on the podcast and talk with us. Glad to be here, fellas. This is beautiful. And uh, can't think of a group of people I'd love to spend uh, time with more. That was Barry. This is Jim. And I very much echo what he just said. This is definitely family. And we will hang out with these brothers any time of the day or night. So, so, you know, since I'm the new guy here, you guys obviously know each other super well. I'm actually curious, how did this relationship start? How did you guys meet each other? And how long have you guys known each other? I guess that's a question for all of you. We met you all separately, right? But I feel like the bonding, mo- like the cohesive bonding moment was up at the um, the Omega thing in New York. What was that? Creating a Mindful Society. It was like the five of us and Tim. And I remember Oppen and I got up there early. We were all hanging out. Me, Oppen, Jimmy, and uh, and Barry. We were all, and Tim, and Tim Ryan was actually with us. I remember Andy walks in late. And Barry jumps up and runs over. He's so excited to see him and tosses Andy over his shoulder like a rag doll <laughs> and runs over and like tosses him down in a chair. I remember everybody had to be up so early the next morning, but I feel like we were out, we were hanging out, talking and like just, I mean, it was like hanging with family to like what, like three, four in the morning? Yeah, I definitely remember that. I think um, in the story, I think we need to make sure we preface that it was a, a very strong, muscular rag doll. <laughs> 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 uh, well, you know, there's a there's a funny story in New York that that precedes that about how I how I recall first hearing about you guys. We were in a meeting with um, the Roses, the, the founders of the Garrison Institute, and it was Jim and I were there, and Tim, and um, we'd already started to work on a mindful nation, and. At one point, uh, Deanna Rose said, and we're talking about Tim Ryan, the congressman. At one point, Deanna Rose said, and of course you've heard of the guys from Baltimore who are bringing mindfulness and yoga into the schools there. And I immediately said, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> and I had, no, I had no idea what she was talking about. <laughs> so we immediately, after the meeting, soon as I could get to Google, I figured out who you guys were. And uh, that's when uh, Tim and I arranged a meeting with you in Baltimore, which took place, I believe, in the bar where they have resurrection, where they serve resurrection. I think that was the our Brewers first. Art. Yeah, I think that was your first introduction to uh, the resurrection. Yes, exactly. Tim met you guys very shortly thereafter, some beams. Well, I remember coming to the um, West Baltimore School with Tim and a film crew because Hay House is a publisher for the Mindful Nation, wanted to do promotional stuff. And uh, we drove in with the film crew and with Tim. And I literally, I tell this story so many times. 
going through that neighborhood was like going through a place that had lost any semblance of life or color. There were no trees, there were no plants. But the closer we got to the school, all of a sudden it was like the movie went from black and white to color, that all of a sudden there were gardens, there were flowers, there were smiles on pe in people's faces. And we went in there and, you know, within about, I don't know, half an hour, you guys had Congressman Ryan on the floor with a bunch of sixth graders, 60, 70 sixth graders, and some 11-year-old young man leading the yoga and mindfulness while you guys were watching. And, you know, what I saw at that moment and what I always tell people is maybe you teach mindfulness, maybe you teach yoga, but what you do is you just have created a love generator that what was happening in that place was so distinctly different from any other place I'd been because of the love that generated out from those young people and from your connection with those young people. And we continue to see that traveling with you guys all over North America. You know, we've been a lot of places doing things together. And at least one of you has always taken calls from one of those young people who need some help, who need some intervention, who need some advice. And I've learned a lot just watching from what you guys do. That was one of the nicest things he's <laughs> ever said about us. Hey, Jimmy, I remember another part to the story where the program was over and there was an irate parent outside accusing one of our staff of stealing a cell phone or something to that extent. And I'm, you know, the dude is cursing me out and I'm trying to have as much patience as I can because I know, you know, all my kids are watching. I'm modeling good behavior. And then I know the congressman is there watching. I know Jimmy is there. I'm like, man, man, I, I cannot wild this motherfucker out. So I really practice peaceful conflict resolution like a motherfucker there, man. So I appreciate you all being witness to that. So I don't know. I mean, we know uh, y'all's roles with Mindful Magazine, but I don't know if all of our listeners do. So do you think you all could uh, expound on what it is that you all actually do for the magazine? So uh, about 2008 or nine, John Kabat-Zinn came through town for a book promotion event. And we were talking about this secular mindfulness seeping into society. And we actually said, is it the time for a magazine that could help uh, ce celebrate and point out all the wonderful things we people were doing? in order to help build that movement, to support it. And at that point, John had a few other things to do, but we proceeded to found Mindful, the Foundation for a Mindful Society started in 2011, 2012. We had a website and by 2013 in April, our first issue of a print magazine. Barry was the editor in chief and really had the heavy lifting of content for every single one of those magazines for five or six years. And my job, as I like to describe it is, the Walmart greeter of the mindfulness movement. <laughs> Ooh, okay. I like that. Ostensibly, I was the publisher responsible for all the business side, and I did dabble a little bit in that. I had to raise money, you know, that, that stuff. But really, my job was to go across the country and hang out in the, in the neighborhoods and the trenches and the offices and the bars with the people who are doing this work like you and to see firsthand and bring those stories back to the team so they could celebrate the stories like the one in our very first issue that I, I think Barry will talk about, about this, these very weird guys doing work in, in Baltimore. <laughs> but, but I've had the, you know, the blessing of being in the trenches and firsthand seeing what the heroic work is that people have been doing in schools and police departments and the Army, and it's been a, just a great joy doing that. And just, you know, just sacrificing yourself going into those bars and having to network, I mean, it's just amazing. I'm just, it's <laughs> In the trenches. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> 
at the time when you started the magazine, was there anything else out there like that? Or was this revolutionary? Was this kind of original thought sort of magazine applications? Like, what was that like for you guys? Well, I think it was um, a little bit revolutionary and a little bit evolutionary. You know, what was what was there already were a number of Buddhist magazines. And, you know, the feeling that a person in the public might have had about meditation was, well, that's something that you have to belong to a certain kind of club or be a certain sort of person to do. And the way Jim and I had been trained for many, many decades was, was it was really important to transcend that, both for ourselves, that we're not any special kind of people, and let other people know that it's your genuine quality of being a human being that's most important. And whatever practices can draw that out, that's what we need. That's what you need. That's what we all need. Not that you need to belong to a particular religion or sect or so mindful was intended to advertise from the beginning. This is for anybody and it also has tremendous power. That's why in the very first issue, I wanted to, to feature the Holistic Life Foundation because that made a very strong statement that, you know, mindfulness, we were going to define it very broadly. And we were going to define it in terms of people being able to do something where they live in regular life, you know, not about you know, esoteric, uh, expensive retreat practice. You know, I feel like that first episode and I mean, the first edition of mindful magazine and the one, uh, highlighting the, um, creating a mindful society conference were probably the two best issues of mindful magazine of all time. The content is the content, the content, the pictures. It was amazing. Well, wait a second. The current issue of the magazine, we revisit the holistic life foundation and have you seen it yet, Channel? No, no, we haven't seen it yet. Uh-uh. Yeah, naked, well, naked. Y'all yeah. are naked. Yeah. You know, you're going to sell a lot. New York Times bestseller. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You must have been pissed off the day they were taking the pictures or something. We had to Photoshop some smiles onto some of y'all faces. It was there. cold as uh, hell. You guys never, have no idea how cold it was that day. I thought, I looked at this picture. I said, I have never not seen Atman smiling. Right. Well, you know, Atman of all people don't like the cold. Yeah, he hates the cold more than anybody. Than, than anybody, <laughs> it was icy that day. It was windy. It was it was no joke. Or as Andy would say, I say frío. I say muy frío, frío, frío. So you guys are, um, have deep, deep roots in like meditation and mindfulness. Can you tell the the listeners a little bit about your roots in the practice and like and and what kind of tradition you guys study in? Uh sure. You know, for me, getting involved in Mindfulness practice was an outgrowth of disillusionment. Gives away just how old I am to say I was in college in the Bay Area in the late 60s. Got involved in anti-war movement, got involved in deeply getting to know these star professors at my, my I, I was at Stanford University, so all the professors were famous. But you, you, so, you soon learn that the professors knew a lot of stuff, but it didn't actually transfer to their personal lives. I mean, frankly, their, their family lives and relationships are pretty fucked up. And I thought, I don't want to wind up there. 
And then same thing with anti-war movement. So basically from that disillusionment, trying to find a, you know, kind of some kind of genuine way of being in life led me to mindfulness practice. And that started in the early 70s. And there were a lot of teachers of mindfulness back in those days. So it wasn't a hard thing. But frankly, you know, the practice I started then and the practice that I do now is essentially the same practice, you know, following the breath and working with the breath that uh, is taught commonly now in mindfulness classes all over the place. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I mean, you know, it's been working for a while, although I would not argue myself as a model of, you know, 40 years of mindfulness practice. <laughs> <laughs> or because you uh, kept your ego out it so much, are you? Mm. What about you, Brother Bear? Yeah, well, I was in high school at the time that I got started. Uh, my family is from New York, but we moved to South Central Pennsylvania about 90 minutes from Baltimore, went down to Baltimore a lot when I was young. I had, uh, I was the youngest in my family. So my brothers were serious hippies and anti-war people and doing yoga and trying every other kind of thing. So it was through my brothers that my older brothers that I got introduced to, to meditation. And, uh, at the time, the, you know, the main way to get involved was through Buddhism. So I became a Buddhist practitioner. But, you know, I think what's been critically important for me is that the meditation practice had been taught by Martians or Venusians. I would have been a Venusian or a Martian. <laughs> you know, uh, it, Buddhism wasn't the main point. I think it's an incredible tradition. And, um, you know, may it live long and prosper. But I think the, the point was... Um, to um, have your basic quality of your mind shown to you, particularly with the starting out with quite a bit of resistance to that. You know, I mean, the first thing you're asked to do is sit down and be with yourself. And I very early on found I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to sit down there and be with myself. I wanted to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> and it was only through a certain kind of, I would admit, I think through a certain kind of peer pressure that I stayed long enough to begin to see something and be able to hear what, you know, what teachers and, and other people were pointing out. And uh, I was a little bit younger than, than uh, the crowd at the time. Jim was kind of in the median age of that group at that time. So I'm a teenager and they're sort of mid twenties, but uh, those people very quickly became mentors for me. And in the, Around 77, Jim and I met and started doing stuff together. In one way or another, we've continued to do stuff together ever since that time we met in Boston in 77, when he was a little bit more senior student than me. Now I'm really a more senior student than him. I've outclassed him. Yeah, <laughs> evident. Clearly evident. All right. yeah. <laughs> I think one of the things we love about you all so much is because we see a lot of you know, your bond in the the same bond that we have with Andy. You know what I mean? It's like we're not brothers, but, you know, we love each other so much. We believe in each other so much. We have the same mission that we're going to get whatever we want done, done together. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing I think I've seen with you all is that, you know, the camaraderie and the synergy that you all have together, I think y'all can get whatever done y'all want to. And, you know, it's a blessing seeing that and to try to emulate that in our business as well. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's one reason. I mean, why we love you guys so much. I mean, I, I think I think everyone can see our love for each other when we're you know when we're out in in public with each other during the conferences. It's like no matter what, we're magnets, and we always end up being together and grouped together. And you know, I, I really, you know, one thing that I think really resonates or sticks out to me about the two of y'all is your authenticity and how real you all are. And, and you know, sometimes, and you know, in this world, we were just talking about. Um, what was one of those, the last topic we talked about? Um, spiritual, uh, help me out here, David. Materialism. materialism. Spiritual materialism. Like bypassing. Yeah, and bypassing yeah. that and, and how, I mean, it, it's just great. Since we've met you and it's always been there that y'all are just real motherfuckers for real, you know? You know, and you, ha- you have a practice. You're still so compassionate. You're still so empathetic to what's going on in the world. But there's no, there's just no fakeness to y'all. And it really, it, it um, and, you know, it means a lot. And, and like, you know, I look up to y'all as my mentors, you know what I mean? I, I, you know, I really do. And you all have always been there for us. You've always had our backs. You've always supported us. And I don't, I don't think we would uh, be where we are today if it wasn't for our friendship with you. I mean, man, and whenever we are in the trenches, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to gas y'all up, but like whenever we are in the trenches, we can kind of ask you for counsel and you all never stare us astray. And, you know, humbly, we thank y'all for that. But we'll get back on topic instead of stroking your ego because, you you know. Um, but anyway. All I want to know is, you know, you're late with your your uh, most recent check. <laughs> so, uh, hey. It's on its way. It's in the mail, man. It's in you the know. mail. Come on, man. You know that. So what's, what's interesting is I'm hearing like mindfulness and spirituality create a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And I'm hearing how y'all come together in your little individual groups and all your like greater groups. And it's really nice to hear that. All right. So I got a question, guys. When when you all first uh, started Mindful, how popular or how unpopular was uh, mindfulness in the whole public realm? You know what I mean? It's only recently become part of pop culture. But when you all first started, how did people think of it? I'll go first, Bear, but before I answer that question, I want to say that I think there was something very important in that last thing you said about what creates the bond. I think David, it was you said it, what creates the bond and the capacity for a group of people to put shoulder to shoulder and get something done. And and I think it's always been that you're both looking at a place out beyond rather than at each other. We always had this common goal that was to bring benefit to other people, which was which was en- enabled us to get over any short-term rough spots. And I think there's just something something pretty telling about that for our time and the challenges we're facing all, all in all on the globe that we're going to have to we're going to have to do that, do that more. And why this is, I think, so topical to our conversation is when we started out seeing mindfulness get popular. And I'll put it in the context of your question here. For 40 years, you didn't tell somebody that you were into mindfulness because it was a conversation stopper. You know, you say it to the guy next to you on the plane and all of a sudden they turn their shoulder and, you know, they got another conversation to run to because it just was too weird. And the last seven or eight years, it's become a badge of honor. And that's a very weird transition where people think it's so cool that you've been doing this for a long time. But I think the cool thing about the moment right now is we, from 2010 on, the thing that really was an obstacle to mindfulness getting deeper hold was that people regarded it as something they were doing for themselves. 
It was self-improvement. It was my stress. It was my trip. It was my yoga pants and my body and how cool I look. But what the movement as a whole the last two or three years has finally gotten that it's not about me. It's about what you can prepare yourself to do to benefit other people. So we're seeing more and more the conversations about how can you bring these foundational practices to benefit others. Why this conversation is so important is that's where you guys started. The, you came back to your school, the, you, you know, in the neighborhoods you grow up in, and you started there to benefit other people. And so in a way, I think that's primarily the way you guys have been leaders in this field for a long time. The field as a whole is just now coming back to understanding that it's not about me. It's about what we can do to benefit other people. And that's what you guys led with. So in some ways, you know, we can look to you as an example as much as that bullshit earlier, you saying you could look to us. <laughs> yeah, we're going to edit all those compliments out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I would add that the, um, the most important personal virtue of mindfulness is not that by practicing mindfulness, you know, it's about getting better and better. It's about getting more real and more honest. And I think that's what I learned from my early mentors as, you know, I began to, uh, as we all do, develop some feeling like, man, this is special. I'm something special. I'm doing something special. And, you know, you kind of get inflated and somebody calls you on that. And it's your good friends who can call you on that in a way that also has some humor and love in there, right? And then when you've received that gift, somebody being real with you and letting you know, hey, come come down and be with the people down here, man. Get off your pedestal. You want to share that gift all the time. <laughs> that's the, and that's the gift you want to receive all the time. And I think that, you know, that, that kind of honesty that has love within it is really what I feel, I hope, behind mindful and mindful.org is, you know, that kind of real, real honesty that, that brings us together. And as Jim says, then we can look together toward where we want to go. But as long as you're caught up and thinking about yourself and, you know, how I'm getting better and be, you know, and I'm, it's all about my thing, then you're not, you're not getting anywhere yourself and you're not helping anybody out. In terms of what you guys do, I think a real manifestation of that is that you, as much as you've uh, done things outside of Baltimore, you continue to be about the place where you live. You know, that earthbound quality is just so vitally important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So talking about mindfulness is one thing, but generating a monthly magazine with multiple articles and lots of people in it with different perspectives, different ideas. That's a different thing. And my question to you two is how is it that you generate so much content about mindfulness? What are some different types of content that you do explore within producing this magazine? Yeah, first of all, the print magazine is, is a bi-monthly. It comes out six times a year. We also have uh, three or four special issues that we put out on the newsstand. And, and we have uh, mindful.org, which has things in print and audio and video and 
we have new, we have newsletters and podcasts and the whole range of ways of reaching people. From the beginning, our commitment has been to be a voice for an authentic kind of mindfulness through whatever channels were workable. And it was doing a print magazine meant that if we were successful enough, we could be on the stand next to Time and Vanity Fair and Yoga Journal. And we've talked to people like police, you know, a policeman who got hurt in the line of duty and saw that there was a policeman on the cover of the magazine and thought in the supermarket, oh, this mindfulness thing could be for everyday people. And in fact, you guys told a story about, you know, when you showed it to your dad, even though he already knew what you were doing was authentic, that kind of lifted it for him, you know, that kind of legitimized it. Legitimized it. Yeah, exactly. There was a certain kind of validation. So that was that's been the reason to do the print magazine. Originally, we wanted to, in the print magazine, tell a lot of stories of people bringing mindfulness to all sorts of different places, uh, you know, schools and, and hospitals and uh, for firefighters and in city halls. And it turns out that for the print magazine, there's such a strong feeling of people being in personal pain but that's why they're mainly picking up the print magazine. And so we're not telling quite as many of those bigger, inspiring stories there. We're having to do that more on the web. And the way we get the content to circle back to your original question is through the kind of uh, networking that Jim and I began doing many, many years ago spending time with people, talking with them, hearing what they were teaching and wanting to, to spread. And out of those relationships, you end up with a lot of people who want to be heard through mindful. So it's really about cultivating those kinds of relationships. To conclude, I'd say, you know, that because of the relationships uh, we've made with the HLS folks, your teachings have appeared on mindful.org and in the magazine in a bunch of different ways. And we and the other editors here have made relationships between or with um, well over a hundred teachers and, and people doing this kind of work out in the world. And I hope as you talk to them, they'll say, we trust those people at mindful. They're authentic. They're real. And that's how we've been able to do it. So they feed the content to us. So Y'all have, uh, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time and you've met, I, I can only imagine so many amazing people, right? I think they've been doing it since the Paleolithic it was age. Paleolithic, it was, I remember, I remember them falling off their dinosaur and breaking their newspaper sometimes. Um, anyways, no. So, <laughs> um, Jim, Jim had to run to school because the earth was still cooling. <laughs> <laughs> and since you're seven years younger, you only had to skip to school. Yeah, yeah. Yours, it was a little cooler when you were going. That's right. No, but for real, you all got to have like uh, some amazing stories, right? Of encounters that you've had with people, of things, 
I don't know whether it's conversations or things that maybe things that have happened during your own practice or your spiritual journey. Um, is there any stories that, you know, just a story of, you know, a piece So each of you share a story of something that's like got a little wow factor and not any baseball stuff. No one wants to hear that shit, Jimmy. All right. Okay. <laughs> no one wants to hear about you. Oh, it was ninth <laughs> inning and you know, I'm playing shortstop and I game winnings, diving save. We don't want to hear any of that shit. All right. We want to hear spiritual journey stuff. Or, or even just cool experience stuff. Come on. Or just some unexplainable shit that's Something happened. Something amazing, anything. Besides when you all met us and you all were like, oh, my fucking God, I can die now. I mean, you may not. You may, you know, I mean, it wouldn't be too surprising that your lives are dull and boring and you don't have anything exciting to tell listeners. But um, at the same time, I'm sure you have something profound or just something that might be interesting. I don't know. Hey, just to let you guys know, they do this to me, too. So I'm I'm the new guy to their crew and I, I feel you. So when they're just bagging on you, I'm just like, Oh, they're used wow. to this. They do this to us all the time. They're just trying to be nice and professional on the other line over there. I'm the, I'm the new guy guys so i i get this shit all the time but we'd love to hear your like personal experiences anything like that's amazing that comes from the magazine and you just meeting a bunch of new people oh, take man. your time i know you're y'all are old and it takes time to remember stuff we um yeah we need a minute here because um one of the things that we're um i would say we're trained to be a little wary of is is the testimonials you know so we shy away from from, uh, oh, okay, from that okay. a little bit. You well, know? then we don't have to worry about that. Let's move on. Let's, let's we can do another question. I understand where you're coming from. If you, Jimmy's thinking, and uh, I mean, I, it's uh, there are so many that are you had to be there kind of things. But you get some minute. I don't know. Let's, I'll, I'll tell a story and then see if that spurs anything for Jim. So one of the habits that Jim has always had is. Um, you know, he's a, a great networker, you know, always, uh, you know, if he goes to a new place, before he goes to that place, he wants to see if there's anybody in that place who's already known by somebody he knows. And, you know, I picked that up from him. And, you know, that's something that we came to do together. So we had, Jim and I had worked on a, on a book together and we were about to go out on a little book tour and we were going to give a little talk in, in Washington it's about a little thing we do on the art of war, you know, strategies that are um, non-aggressive, non-confrontational, you know, deriving from the from Sun Tzu's art of war. Anyway, we, we, we were going to give a talk at Georgetown uh, because of somebody we met on one of our trips that, you know, through networking, uh, Liz Stanley. And so Jim did a little bit of research ahead of time, talked to John Kabat-Zinn and others, and who's around in D.C. that we might visit. And John mentioned Tim Ryan, the congressman. So Jim got in touch ahead of time, and and uh, Tim said, oh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll come to your talk. So we never met the guy. I knew, you know, by the time I got there, I only knew what I Googled. And uh, so Jim, uh, Tim shows up at our talk, and... I think we figured out it was him because I mean, he had on one of those Congress member of Congress pins on and, and, uh, you know, he was tall and stood out and he had the book in his hand. He had always all showing book off. In his Tim's hand. always showing off of those damn pins. Showing off, man. I know. So afterwards, after our little talk, he starts, uh, saying, uh, you know, how much he liked the book and blowing smoke up our ass and, 
And um, and I, then I knew this is definitely a congressman. <laughs> <laughs> but what was also apparent was that he actually had read the damn book. And I had worked for 10 years in Washington and knew a lot of a lot of people in Congress, and I'd never met one that had actually read a book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, usually they just have this thousand-yard stare. So we had a, you know, we got to know Tim a little bit that night, and uh, so, yeah, let's, we'll see you in the future. So the next day, we're going to see another congressman on Capitol Hill, Jared Pollan, and I'm the show, I'm chauffeuring. Uh, I was happy not to have to be the first one going up to the congressman's office. So I let Jim off at the corner and he almost literally bumps into Tim Ryan. No way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So Tim says, Hey, you guys, why don't you come up to the office in a few minutes? So we go take the other meeting and then we go back and meet up with Tim. And that's when he hatched the idea of a mindful nation. Wow. Mm. Wow. And it's kind of this one thing leads to another. We were taught to follow the coincidences and, you know, just doing a little bit of probing out there, you can create coincidences. And, you know, that's kind of a more easeful way to live one's life, a more mindful way, you might say, than to just to try so hard to make shit happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So just that's, uh, you know, the coincidences that led to Tim and led to you, but starting out with, you know, probing out in the world. So that's a little story. That's awesome. So I want to just add to the Barry story, the talk we're giving at Georgetown in front of a literally packed room. Every seat was filled except for two. It was in the security studies department of Georgetown, two seats in the front row. About a third of the way through the talk strides in this tall guy in a suit and his assistant. Obviously, his assistant sit down right in the front row. So at the end of it, as Barry said, well, we went out to dinner together to a little Thai restaurant with a small group of people. At that point, he made it clear how much he had read and loved our book about the art of war. And in the process, told us about his retreat that he did with John Kabat-Zinn, five days retreat in the middle of which was a, a day and a half of silence. Now think of that, a congressman, a day and a half of silence. Wow. <laughs> and this was the most profound part, the discovery for Tim of his Catholic upbringing and the contemplative roots that had been with him all the time, now rekindled through that practice retreat that he did. So we're, we're sitting at this round table and Tim's a couple of seats over, And of course, there were drinks involved. And at a certain point, I look over at Tim and say, okay, Tim, we're good on mindfulness, you know, one finger up. We're good on the art of war, two fingers up. And I said, so what about the dude? And without making an obvious uh, reference to the big Lebowski, without skipping a beat, he raises his right hand and shows it to me and says, I don't look like I'm married, do I? <laughs> no way. So it's like classic line out of the, the Big Lebowski. The dude abides. At which point, the meeting of minds, you know, was just too great for any doubt to enter. So it was it was meant to be. That's I love that man. movie too. I got a beverage in hand, man. Mindfulness, 
the art of war and the big Lebowski. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Jimmy can quote just about the entire movie, just in case our listeners want to know that. Just about every single line. You can probably just go to do my a, doctor. Do a one he's man play he's of it, right? very thorough. Very thorough. Obviously, you guys don't know about bowling. <laughs> so you all, through uh, Mindful Magazine and Mindful.org, you all legitimize a lot of people doing mindfulness work and yoga and contemplative practices all across the world. Uh, you all legitimize it to uh, fathers who say, man, when the fuck y'all going to show me? What the fuck y'all doing? Also, y'all legitimize it uh, to policymakers, foundations, and a lot of other folks. That's beautiful. But I think your new initiative is beautiful as well with your Mindful Cities initiative, where you all are trying to be the change and not just report about it. Uh, could you kind of break down uh, that initiative for us? Well, this is a great example of what I was saying before, how the movement is going to realize it's about bringing benefit to the community, to others, not just about your own self. You know, first of all, the breakdown internally is that we have the foundation for a mindful society, which is what we first created. And it is the owner and publisher of mindful and mindful.org. But more and more, I mean, it, they're, they're sort of two uh, separate operations. I'm, I'm primarily involved with the foundation now. And through meeting people in, in uh, 2016, end of 2016, a couple of civic leaders who started getting this awareness that their schools were doing it, their hospitals were doing it, businesses were doing it. What if they went ahead and trained a cross-section of, cross of leadership in their town? Could they bring more ability to, to listen and to speak civically to each other, to be innovative and collaborative? The problem was these people didn't know much about mindfulness themselves, didn't know much about the field. So they would go to conferences and reach out for the, the latest bright star and see if they could get them to come to their town. Well, after some dialogue and, and consulting with them and helping them find the unique pathway to mindful uh, city in their, in their community, just uh, six months ago, two of the three cities in our pilot phase of our Mindful Cities project had their first public events, what they called summits. One of them brought the Search Inside Yourself leadership training program to two days of training 135 civic leaders in Flint, Michigan. Jackson, Wyoming did it a little different. They brought Amishi Jha and some other leaders to speak about research in the field that could lead to training programs that would be uniquely suited for the leadership in Jackson. So the cool thing about it is we don't have the resources to roll this out as a big program. But we're getting three, four calls a week now that word is out from other groups and cities who want to do this. And what we're finding until such time as we can find somebody to fund and help us build the infrastructure to really roll this out, that the peer-to-peer -peer, civic leader to civic leader com uh, communication about this is how it's moving to other places. So when Fort Collins, themselves a leader in, in bringing mindfulness into the city, wanted to meet with the mayor about how to do this. It wasn't me that flew out. It was a representative from Jackson, Wyoming, and a representative from Flint, Michigan, who spent three hours with city council and the mayor and civic leaders, and hearing peer-to-peer, -peer, hearing the inspiration of those civic leaders in those other towns, really accelerated Fort Collins' interest in moving forward. Most recently, we were in Parkland, Florida, where in Broward County, there's a lot going on 
to respond to the Parkland shootings. And a lot of that's mindfulness stuff. But again, there it was like, how do we put it all together? There's so much going on. How do we make sure we're we're not leaving whole areas uncovered and duplicating in other areas? So that's that boring people about structures and funding needs and all that. That's kind of a bit of a flavor of what has purely grown up as our response to leadership in the trenches saying, we, we've got to do this for our community. And we're just helping as much as we can. And it's pretty exciting. Thanks for sharing that, Jim. Thank you so much. All right, now, Jim, I know you know you got you got to go, and we'll talk to Barry for like a quick hot second. But we've asked every one of the guests the same thing, so you just, um, how would you define love? We saved the easy the easy ones for last. <laughs> <laughs> Trusting in your experience and insight that what's most important to you is the happiness and welfare of those those around you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. How about you, Bear? Um, what does uh, the word love mean to you? I would say uh, honesty and warmth in equal measure. Wow. Y'all are awesome. And and a couple of drinks after a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that is love. Goose chilled. I'm please. Already there. Thank you. Yo, next time we see you, we, we'll, we'll take you guys out. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. On us. Yeah, man, I've had that promise before. <laughs> <laughs> man, for real, honestly, love you guys so much. Y'all know how much y'all mean to us. And, you know, our viewers, uh, you know, thank you, our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. And, you know, y'all have met some of our big bros that has kind of helped lead us to uh, help out so many other people. And if you don't have a subscription to Mindful Magazine, get your ass one and sign up on mindful.org as well to make it happen. Yeah. Boom. And uh, I, I would be, be remiss if I didn't say that, uh, you know, we need to thank you know, a large number of people here at, at Mindful and mindful.org who have um, taken the um, burden and inspiration from Jim and me and really carried it forward our new director of content, Ann Alexander, who came to us because she, with great industry experience because she wanted to do something more meaningful. Same thing for uh, Heather Herlock, executive editor, for uh, our art director, Jessica von Hondorf, our new CEO, Brian Welch. You know, if you look in the magazine or on the website, you see a big list of people and, uh, you know, those people have really, uh, they're doing this as a labor of love. And frankly, as a result, uh, Jim and I have been able both to um, to back away a little bit from, more than a little bit, from the day-to-day responsibilities and, uh, you know, do the kind of visionary and connecting work that we were built to do. And it's a result of, of like within your organization, you know, other people picking up the picking up the mantle, and you know, it's all about that. You want to give it away, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, sure. you definitely want to give it away. You know, you don't want to keep it. Proud of y'all for uh, the uh, position that you all are in, and thankful for uh, the people that are holding the mantle up. Yeah, and and honestly, thank you for voicing that because it takes a team sometimes to do the the bigger dream, the goal, and. And sometimes we need to shout out our team because it's not just the people who are the face of it. It's it's a lot of people behind us. And, and we really appreciate you for shouting out your team. And we really appreciate them as well. Yeah, definitely. Hi, Brother Bear. Hi, Jim. Love you all so much. Thank you all so much. And thanks uh, to all the listeners for tuning in again to another uh, podcast of Look Again.
all I can say is look again and thank you brothers for being on here with us and uh, thank you listeners for tuning in yeah we're most appreciative goodbye thank you thank you for listening to look again podcast please feel free to share this content with your friends and community also please consider donating to our patreon page you can find us at p-a-t-r- eon.com and search for look again podcast anything helps and we really appreciate your visit thank you so much